0: Ronananian. what's going on with this Takata airbag recall? Holy cow.
1: It
0: Car Doctor. It's got to make you nervous driving a car with an airbag in it, especially if it's Takata. Let's just say that the recalls are costing us all a lot more than they already need to. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Did you ever think that the automobile is like going into therapy? Let me prove it to you. Hello and welcome Ronnie and the car doctor here 855-560-560 nine nine zero zero eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero the Car Doctor's twenty four seven phone number. More information about us at cardoctorshow.com. links there to tune in, iHeart, iTunes all places you can take podcasts of this radio show, as well as Google Play, who is now a supporting us as well as we're supporting them, giving them podcasts to carry the show on, and uh, you can take it there as well. Keep in mind, if you are looking for your very own Car Doctor T-shirt, get out to eBay and just search Ronanini or Car Doctor T, and uh, you can pick one up today, maybe just in time for Father's Day or any special graduation event or anybody that's a regular listener of this show, perhaps yourself, and uh, we thank you for considering that. I think that automobiles really are... It's, it's like going into therapy sometimes, going into a repair shop, and I can prove it to you. Customer came into the shop this week, new customer, 99 Honda Accord. And there was a laundry list of things wrong with it and what it needed and how it needed to be repaired. And I'm always suspect of a 15-, 16-year-old car with 130,000 miles on it. And it doesn't have to be that old or that many miles. But, you know, like I say, if you're in your 40s and you haven't got a regular mechanic yet, Something's wrong. There's, there's, and I'm not saying it's wrong with you, or there's just you've just run into the wrong shops. It's just, it's just strange to me. You know, I go to the same barber, the same doctor, the same accountant, the same. I mean, thirty years now. I don't change. There's not. You know, I don't judge them on every individual. I didn't like the way they did that. I, you know, I look at the overall effect. Did they get the job done? Had they been doing the job? They've got up days and down days, just like me. Are they professional? That's all. 99 Honda Accord comes into the shop, and one of the concerns was the key doesn't come out of the ignition. You turn it off, and the key comes back before the last stop, and you can't pull it out. you got to wiggle and jiggle to get it out. First question I ask, has anybody else worked on the car for this particular problem? No, not at all. Okay, you're sure? Not at all. You know, I said this to my daughter, the the family therapist who was home this weekend, and um, she said, well, why would they lie to you like that, Dad? And I said, Rachel, how many people come into therapy? And the first words out of their mouth is, I'm not sure why I'm here, or I'm only here because my mom wants me to be here, or I don't really need to be here. I'm just keeping my wife happy. She said, okay, I get it. People don't want to look at the dark side of life sometimes, but they've got to face facts. Somebody else is working on the car. Just tell the I mechanic.
1: your lack of faith disturbing. Yeah, well,
0: there's always that. You know, just tell the mechanic somebody else is working on the car. People don't want the mechanic, I think, to know that they're working on the car, somebody else is working on the car. They're afraid of what he's going to find and quote-unquote charge him more. i got news for you. You don't tell him what somebody else is working on the car, it's going to cost you more because now he's got to look twice as hard. Bottom line. I go to look at this Honda, and the key interlock solenoid doesn't release. Now, the, the the sad part is, it's been like this for so long that the key that I was presented was so beat up and worn out. Which I got to point out. How did you lock the car? Well, we didn't really lock the car. We figured it was too old to be stolen, so it was. We let it sit in the driveway for a year and a half with the key in the ignition. And I'm just getting this twitch over my right eye, like. Ah. So we got the key out. I look at it. The key's all worn. The lock cylinder's all beat up because they've been wrestling with it for a year and a half. So I said, you know what? First, we're going to start with a lock cylinder. Let's put a lock cylinder in it. Put a lock cylinder in it. Everything works nice. It's tight. It's good. Got to make the key interlock function, you know, work. The engineers at Honda just continue to amaze me. And you know, they they think this is, you know, it's this must be getting ready to go to Mars because it's the shifter assembly is this configuration of little tiny micro switches and solenoids and relays, all just to put it in park and have somebody turn a key so they can take the key out. You got to, you know, this relay has to hit this switch. This switch has to go click, and then that has to release the shift interlock to turn the key to, you know, a a Model T. It was, you know, turn the key, hit the button, shifter. Nobody wanted it anyway. It was a pile of junk in three years. Uh, What's the difference? I don't think much has changed in the last 60 or 70 or 80 years. Point being, did anybody work on this car prior? No, not at all. And I'm looking at the shifter, and there's two screws that hold the shift handle assembly to the body of the shift assembly, and it's missing one of the screws. And I'm saying, why is that screw missing? And I keep looking at it and looking at it and looking at it because as I – and I had to take the console apart and half the interiors apart in the car – when you put it in park, There's a little finger that, imagine your index finger, it has to come up about a quarter of an inch to hit this micro switch in order for it to release the lock solenoid to allow the key to turn for the key to come out. And I'm watching and the index finger or the tab on the shifter doesn't come up. It just moves into position. I take my little pocket screwdriver and I put it in there. You always got to have a pocket screwdriver working on a car. And I take my little pocket screwdriver and, and it releases and I go, okay, so... What's wrong with this picture? I take the other screw out from the missing side of the shifter, from the opposite side of the one that was missing on the shifter, and the shift handle just about ejects itself through the sunroof because it was in there. And I, I could just see this guy trying to put this thing on. I'll make it fit, you know, and just jamming it on, and then using the lock screw, and, oh, look, they, they must have given me this screw to hold everything in place because it's spring-loaded and ready to launch itself out through the, the sunroof. The shifter was assembled wrong, and there's a little nylon bushing that has to go in a certain way. And you take the whole thing apart and just you know common sense. I I, if I've taken one of these apart, it's not recently, and I really don't remember how it went, but it didn't take long to figure out. It was bushing sleeve collar shift handle button. Put the whole thing together. Put the screw in. Which by the way, you didn't really need the screw because it no longer wanted to launch itself out through the sunroof. And lo and behold. When you release the shifter now, the index finger comes up, hits the micro switch and the car's fixed. Why is it that people won't tell a mechanic when somebody works on the car? Where is the psychology here? I really don't understand this and I need you to explain it to me. Here's one you can explain to me after 25 years of radio and me answering your questions. I think you can explain this one to me. I'd love to hear it this hour if you're happening to call in. Why is it that They just don't want to tell us. It would just make life so much easier. Sure, I get it. You're here because the last guy was an idiot. I understand that part. You're here because you haven't been able to find anybody to fix the car, and it's been a year and a half, and you're so frustrated, you don't know what to do, and you're beyond words. But trust me, you're going to eventually find somebody that can fix the car. There's somebody out there, all right? You've got to tell them what's going on. It's just just that important in terms of maintenance, because without telling them, you're just elongating the process. You're just dragging it on and making it that much more difficult. Just something to think about. But trust me, auto repair and therapy, they share a lot. And there's a lot of analogies I could make, but the best one is, like I said to my daughter, why do people not tell the mechanic somebody else worked on the car? Because it's like somebody walking into therapy and saying, how many people really say, I really need to be here, I'm nuts. Nobody admits what's really going on. eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I'm running Amy in the car doctor. I'll be back right after this to open up the counseling session about you and your car. Therapy's open. The doctor's in. Don't go away. We're on an the car doctor here. You know, we were talking last hour. We've been talking the past couple of weeks. Uh, Steve Cook from Cincinnati, our, our, our resident instructor out there, Cincinnati, Ohio way. Uh, Steve wrote a letter to me uh, with some comments about the way the manufacturers are treating service information. And um, I last left that we were talking about how the manufacturers are likely to reduce the number of dealerships again, having to pick winners and losers. And and that's true, and that's very likely to happen because they're realizing that the marketplace is shrinking. Uh, It's interesting. I'm working here locally with the Alliance of Automotive Service Providers of New Jersey, and we're talking about things for the mechanical division to come up with. And at one point, there were 3,200 registered mechanical shops in the state of New Jersey. There are now less than 1,900, and this is just in the last – yeah, in the last – Uh, I think the survey was, this was uh, nine years to now, uh, nine years, so 10 years ago, there was over 3,200. Now there's less than 2,000. There's roughly 1,900 mechanical shops left in the state, and that number is dropping every day, and that's independent repair shops. So you're going to see quite the change. Um, You know, but it's interesting the way Steve goes on. He says, one of the things manufacturers have been studying is how the service experience an owner has while owning the vehicle affects whether or not the person will buy another vehicle from that manufacturer. In other words, brand loyalty. If the owner of the vehicle experiences poor service repairs, whether it's from an independent or a dealer, manufacturers have found out through years of research... And I love this part. So it took these guys years of research and millions of dollars to understand that if somebody can't get their car fixed, there's a 50 to 60% chance the consumer will change to a different manufacturer when it comes time to purchase their next vehicle. Well, of course. What idiot would continue to buy something they can't get fixed because the manufacturer doesn't make service information available or they have a bad experience because nobody can fix it? Uh, Steve, you are so spot on in this letter. And it just it just brings to the point that if the manufacturers ever really put their thinking caps on and said, hey... If we work with the independents at a closer and more intimate level, how many more people will want to buy our cars than those that do not? Because we, they know they can get it fixed by the local guy in the corner garage. I was sweeping the shop last night. I just want to tell you this story real quick. I was sweeping the shop last night and late. Everybody had gone and I was cleaning up late in the day. It was late on a Friday. It was around 6, 630. And some neighbors that I had never seen were out walking their dog. And they just happened to watch what's going on. I'm taking garbage out and I'm sweeping the floor. And They they walked over and they said, you know, you keep such a nice, clean shop. We just wanted to compliment you on how nice the shop looks. Um, you know, tell the boss that he does a real good job here. And I said, well, I am the boss. And the guy just looked at me and he was like, really? They said, well, wow, you know, it's really nice to have a local garage around here, but it's really nice to have somebody that cares enough about it. They stay late on a Friday to keep the place clean. We would miss it if it was gone. And And, and that's the point that the local small independent repair shop is a piece of Americana that the manufacturers are trying to get rid of, and I don't think they're going to be that successful. They're going to meet a lot of resistance should what Steve predicts in his letter come to fruition. Let's get over to the phones. Let's get over and talk to Pat Springfield, Illinois, 2003 GMC, and some problems with an idle speed. Pat, welcome to the car, Doctor. How can I help?
1: Well, I have, like I said, I've got a Sonoma with a 4.3 liter V6. Okay. has recently been tuned up. And now it's, I, I get a, a real what I think is a low idle of about five hundred, and then sometime like when you start up and stop it shortly, it, it starts running really rough. Okay. And what,
0: what like,
1: was the what was the reason?
0: A, what was the reason for the tune-up, Pat? Just maintenance.
1: I regular time for it.
0: Okay. All right.
1: Um, and it, it seemed to be all right after that. It was running good then and this just started back up again. He done it once before. You yeah, you know, I take it for a drive, say a trip for about 150 miles, I come back, it's fine. I shut it off, I go back out to crank up and it just barely runs. But that if you keep babying it and then giving it gas, it'll clear up eventually and then it's all right again.
0: Okay. So basically it's had some ignition maintenance. And now it's doing a thing where you'll do a a hot restart and it goes into a rough idle condition maybe, maybe a little bit bit of a roughness, and then maybe the idle speed isn't what it should be. It it
1: doesn't seem like it idles as fast as it should. I'm not sure what the correct idle is on that.
0: And then it'll kind of clear itself out. Any check engine light on? Any fault codes?
1: Never had that, and I've taken it in and they've... Put a machine on it, and never bring up any codes or anything.
0: Okay, stupid question. If you turn the key to the on position but not start the engine, does the check engine light light up? Uh, yeah. Okay, just want to make sure a bulb check works, that it's there. So let's, let's diagnose it for the symptom. Let's diagnose it for rough idle on a hot restart, and we can talk about that. One question I would have is this symptom different did it do this prior to the tune-up work or is this something that just happened after the work was done
1: it has done it before a long time ago and then it kind of went away and then i had it tuned up and then just all about three or four weeks ago, it started again
0: okay so it started again within a month of them doing the tune-up work
1: um maybe a little longer than that
0: all right so let's 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 an assumption's a dirty word and it's a dangerous word, but let's assume what they did is okay, and we'll believe that they've checked over everything. When you go back, they'll look everything over and make sure everything is nipped and tucked where it should be. First thing I would look at, only because they put a distributor cap on this, you said? Yes. I want to look at something on a scan tool called Cam retard. All right? Cam okay. retard shows the relative position of how the distributor is indexed to the crank, to the cam, and the crank, and it shows the offset for distributor position in relation to the rest of the engine, and it will affect. In other words, if they went in and mistakenly tried to time the engine, or change the distributor cap and the component and the rotor, and, the, and it's not the, it's not the same quality, quantity of what was there before. They can affect cam retard, that timing position, and that might have to be adjusted. For all we know, at 170-something thousand miles, a little bit of stretch in the timing chain can affect cam retard also. It It would be easy for me to say the ignition timing has changed, but I want to call it what it is. They refer to it as cam retard because it shows the relationship of cam position to number one and how the distributor is going to fire for the next sequence of events. All right? If I'm not mistaken, cam retard on that is still zero, plus or minus four degrees. So if, if, it's a, if it's a matter of looking at it on a scan tool and they see minus 10 degrees, that's a problem. All that's right? That's, that's okay. got to be either re- corrected or compensated for one way or the other. Then my next step I would go, cam retard's okay, is looking at it on a scan tool or if we can, well, number one, I want to know what fuel pressure is. When, when you go to start it, does it have adequate fuel pressure? These vehicles are very fuel pressure specific. If memory serves me correct, it's 56 to 60 pounds. Minimum key on, just hit the key, what does the gauge come up to? If it's 54 pounds, you're lucky if the car starts. It's that sensitive. By the same token, I've seen them go the other way where if the fuel pressure regulator sticks and it pins it to 62, 63, 65, 70 pounds, it'll, it'll run pig rich just like you're describing and then clear itself out as the the regulator releases. So fuel pressure has got to be part of this conversation. Last, I want to stop and consider the possibility that I've got an injector or a poppet valve creating an issue, making it run rich like that. And the best way I'm going to find it is, especially on a hot restart, when I start the car, where are the fuel trims? Is it is is long term fuel trim in compliance? Is short- term fuel print long t- short term fuel trim stuck rich, trying to overcompensate for maybe what's a drippy injector or stuck poppet valve?
1: Okay
0: Those are the three things I would probably take a quick look at all right and, okay. and, and start and start the war from there. I agree with you, you know, sometimes it's unsettling, 500 rpm. I saw your note, you know, as far as idle speed. Uh, you know, until it creates an issue, I wouldn't be overly concerned about it, but the fact that it's got a rough running condition, yeah, that's a problem. And then last but not least, you know, and I, I just I want to mention this, although I just think it's a normal part of the tune-up process, hopefully they've cleaned the throttle plate, the throttle plate's clean, and any time you do any sort of service and maintenance on a newer vehicle like this, you want to disconnect the battery and do an, a PCM reset and uh, let it learn <laughs> idle speed all over again, so... Couple of things for you to do, Pat. If you need more help, you know where to find me. And uh, we can go from there. By all means if you're looking for more information about us, get out the cardoctorshow.com or get out the Facebook, we can talk about it from that point on. I'm Ronanini and the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Don't go away.
1: Find my 409.
2: She's real. my, 409.
0: my 409. Welcome back. We're on an Indian car doctor here at eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. And I uh, just want to say thank you to Tom. Tom, you're on the board today. Where is uh, Big Tony? Where's the big man? I don't know. Tony um Tony called and said he wasn't feeling well. Yeah, well, I, I understand that, I too. I mean, it's That's... a beautiful day outside. It's sunny. Nah, I'm sure Tony's sick. Listen, if Tony wanted the day off, he would have well, told us. Well, Tony works on radio, we're all sick. Yeah, we're all sick. <laughs> you know what? I never looked at it like that. It's like, I fix cars. I must be sick. So um, let me go out and be a little more sicker. Let's go over and talk to Al, Long Island, New York. And uh, how are my friends out on Long Island today, Al? Welcome to the car, doctor.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
0: You're welcome, sir. What's going on?
3: Well, we got a... 2003, uh, for, uh, wind start and the rear side windows don't work that they, none of them, uh, work. So I wonder if this, you know, I checked the fuses and, uh, that's all I can, I can do. I don't know. This space in the, in the, um, in the fuse compartment, in the, in the engine, engine department, right. there's like, uh, you know, this. Thing with
0: uh,
3: relays and things, this
0: space is there. I don't know if something missing there. I like to, you know, have, have, give
3: an idea. Have the windows ever worked, Al? Not since I have it. No.
0: Okay, so they've they've never worked since you've owned it. So no, no. So I
3: don't know if it's something missing. That's right.
0: Is it? Is well, probably not that they're missing because they're powered through the master window switch, which is oh. located, you know, obviously in the driver's door. Any other windows not working? Does the passenger side mirror? I'm sorry, does the passenger side window work?
3: They both work,
0: yes. So the fronts work, the rear quarter windows do not. Right. Okay. So what I would tell you, you know, it's kind of odd that both would fail, all right, that both Mm -hmm. windows are bad. But what I would tell you to do is I would tell you to access the two window motors, the quarter window motors. You're going to have to pull down some trim and look to see, do you have power? You're going to find... You're gonna find four wire colors back there. On the on the left window it's a yellow, black, and a yellow light blue. Okay. And and on the right side you're gonna find a brown and a brown yellow. You pull up on the master switch or the you know, if there's switches in the back. I can't remember if there's are there separate switches in the back for the passengers to open those windows too? Uh, no, it's all from the master no, switch. The driver switch. Right, it's yeah. all from the master switch, right. Yeah, this going two thousand three. Um, you've got to see hot on one leg of that yellow-black and ground on the other. It's a simple motor. If you've got no power there and you've got no power on the brown-yellow and the brown, then we're going to have to search the circuit forward and find out why isn't that leg of the master switch reading a hot. Now, I will tell you what's common, and that's why I asked about the other windows. I have seen the wires in the door jam break, creating this particular issue. But generally I will see more than just the power windows in the back not work. Usually it extends to something else electrical in the vehicle too. But let's work our way backwards. Let's go to that let's go to that control unit. We're either going to start from the master switch or we're going to start at the windows. One way or the other, we're going to look at those four wires. Those wire colors at the master switch um, are the yeah. same are the same also. So you can either do it from the master switch or the windows. But it's a yellow, black, a yellow, light blue, a brown, and a brown yellow. All right, sir. Okay. And you're looking for hot in one direction and ground in the other. Basically, I would put the voltmeter across it and try the switches in both directions. One way or the other should activate it. When you get past that, when you get, you
3: pop this, uh, this up in the in the door, right?
0: Right. You can do it either from the door, or you can do it from the windows themselves. When you get past that, give me a call. All right?
3: Okay, okay. Thank you.
0: You're very welcome, Mel. Good luck to you. Well, let's uh, get on over and let's go talk to Bob Springfield, Illinois. Bob, you're on with the car doctor. How can I help?
2: Hey, Ron. Yes, sir. Great show. Really thank love you. it.
0: Thank you, sir. What can
1: I do for you?
2: Well, uh, I'm confused. I've been working on cars and uh, uh, changing oil. Uh, you got mileage estimates, time estimates. Now they put indicators on cars, and then you throw in synthetics and conventional. There's an array of variables. I drive about 5,000 miles a year. My question is, would a Pennzoil synthetic last 12 months?
0: How many miles a year?
2: 5,000.
0: I think the Pennzoil synthetic is going to give you the best option. I think it's going to give you the maximum protection. You know, they start with the cleanest base stock because of their natural gas derivatives that they work from. And I think from that perspective, I think Penn's oil is the answer. But I still like the idea of, you know, 6,000 miles or six months is generally my mantra, simply because I'm also concerned about condensation. And, okay. And, you know, w- what are we trying to achieve? I think if we were having the the oil conversation, Bob, you know, and I, I seem to have this on a regular basis, and I don't think there's any way I can put it on a... Um, uh, i don't think there's any way i can put it on a on a tape recorder although sometimes i wish i could you, you know it's, yeah it's it, it it's it's difficult all right i mean with penzoil you know you you, you look at penzoil ultra platinum and you say to yourself is it the best yeah in my mind it is and you know vehicles over 75000 miles i could look at platinum penzoil platinum high mileage okay you know and they've got some additives in there to help with the higher mileage vehicle and that stuff works
2: and, I, I guess what I'm concerned about is: sh- should I change it every six months, which will be about twenty five hundred miles?
0: Yeah, and here's why. Okay, yeah. uh, an oil change, in my mind, was never meant to be quick, and it was never meant to be cheap. It was meant to be thorough because you know you're 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 looking the vehicle over, and maybe not now when the vehicle's a 2013. What is it? Three three years old? Maybe going on four. Right. You know, it's it's a little more forgiving. Remember when you were a teenager, Bob?
2: Yeah, I had a 65 Ford Falcon. Well,
0: remember how you could stay out all night, howl at the moon, and get up the next day after two hours of sleep and work for 10, 12 hours? Right? And you <laughs> yeah, could do that stuff, right? Yeah, you could kind of abuse yourself a little bit. You know, you'd you'd wake up Saturday morning. You, I found myself at the gas station with, with, with such a headache from getting up so early that the fly was buzzing, was giving me... Was annoying me, right? You just, but you still, you still went to work on those hot Saturdays after a Friday night. You know what? When we're young, you can do that. When cars are young, you can howl at the moon. It's when you get into midlife and older that's when things really start to have the effect, and you start to look at cars as they get older. All of a sudden, that car when it's got thirty thousand miles on it, and you go the year without changing the oil, you probably would. You're a car guy you would check the oil level every month or every two months. Most people would not. And the one thing that seems to be left out of this when to change the oil argument, conversation, social media events, however you want to look at it, is nobody talks about checking oil. And the manufacturers, the majority of them, if you look in the owner's manual, make recommendations for regular oil changes, regular oil checks, level checks, and especially in some cases, after certain mileage, Audi makes a recommendation after 3,000 miles to check the oil every 500. I've read it in the owner's manual of some of the models of the A3s, and I'm like, you're kidding me, right? Who does that? So that car that's going six, 7,000 miles on an oil change, maybe at 4,000 miles it was down half a quart. Maybe at 5,000 miles it's down a quart. Maybe by the time it's got the oil change at 7,000 miles, it's down a quart and a half, two quarts. How good is that?
2: Mm-hmm. And, and, Sounds and, like it's uh, cheap insurance.
0: Well, you know what? The oil change is still cheap insurance. It really is. Yeah. My my daughter's home this weekend. I changed the oil in her 2014 Escape. I've been changing the oil every three to 4,000 miles, and I'm using synthetic in there. All right? Uh, you know, okay. she she's getting her dose of Pennzoil Ultra Platinum, but... What's interesting is, so here she is, she came in for her oil change, and only because I have to do this on a shorter time interval, it's whenever I can get a hold of the vehicle. If I hadn't changed the oil yesterday, tomorrow when she's headed back to school, the the screw that I found in the right rear tire, which was just breaking the skin of the tire, would have pushed its way through. She would have been on the side of the Pennsylvania Turnpike with the flat. So... How many flats are we avoiding by changing the oil on a regular basis? How many big repair bills are we avoiding by changing the oil on a regular basis when it's done by somebody with something between their ears? And I'm not the smartest guy in the shed, and I'm I'm not the best guy in the room. I'm just one of them. I just know that when guys that care about cars take care of cars, cars last longer. Bottom line.
2: Very good, Ron. I right, really sir. enjoy your show, and uh, thank you.
0: You're, you're very welcome, Bob. And get out to PennzoilSynthetics.com. You can read more about the Penzoil family of products. eight five five I'm Ron Anany the car, Doctor. I'll be back right after this. And the car doctor, let's do a quick piece of email. This portion of the show. This was. Um, this is from Dennis in Chicago. Hey guys, big fan of the show. Listen to the podcast. I have a 2001 Saturn L200. My AC doesn't work. My dad is a retired old school mechanic and can't figure it out. The compressor turns on on occasion, so we can't charge the system. We think the compressor isn't getting power because we connected the compressor directly to the battery and it turns on fine. I Think it's some type of electrical issue. Also, got a clicking sound inside the cabin when I depress the brakes from my gear shift lights. Are off. Sometimes they work, and door locks automatically when I put it in drive. But other times, the lights don't work, and I get that clicking, and my doors don't lock. I believe the issue is electrical, and tied together with AC, but I have no idea where to look. At any suggestion? Thanks. I keep with the good work. This comes us from Dennis out of Chicago. First of all, Dennis, let's treat it like, like, like the same problem, but separately. All right. Let's attack the AC clutch doesn't engage. Unfortunately, the first thing you really need here is a scan tool. All right, and we want to look on the scan tool to look. Does it show an AC request of yes when the button is pressed? All right. So it'd be a matter of bringing up and not a generic obd 2s tool. You need something year, make, model, manufacturer specific. All right. You want to look and see when you push the button on. Does it show? Does does the computer recognize yes that you've depressed the button? It'll you know it, what, it's, what I'm trying to get to is the PCM and the BCM both have to know that Dennis turned on the AC, push the button in, yes. Yes means they acknowledge it. If it does, then the next thing you want to do is you want to look at the AC pressure sensor voltage on the scan tool. It's got to be close to one volt at rest pressure, depending upon ambient temperature, static pressure. If the voltage is two-tenths of a volt, disconnect the sensor. The scan tool will now show zero volts. If it does, what I want you to do is jumper the gray wire to the red and black in the sensor harness, it's a three-wire sensor out by the compressor. A three-wire sensor out by the compressor. The scan tool should now show five volts. If it does, the AC pressure sensor is defective. That's very common. That has absolutely nothing to do with the lock issue, all right, or the inter- intermittency of the lock issue. What you can do is, when you're looking at the AC pressures, take a look inside the take a look inside the body module. And start to see what sort of requests that's seeing as far as door locks and door position and shift position. All of this is traceable through a scan tool today. I can't tell you how many times I I pick up a scan tool for a dead battery issue or for a charging system fault or for some of the strangest things in the world that I've been saying to myself lately that, gee, you know, when I started this, never in my wildest imagination that I think I'd be using a scan tool for this. You know, it was all wrenches and screwdrivers. So uh, this diagnosis has to start with a scanner and tracing the circuit. You can go through relays and everything else and, and try and do this by wiring diagram. But trust me, been there, done that. If you don't see a yes when the AC button is pressed, start to look at the why. There may be a problem with the AC control head. And that's nothing any wiring diagram is going to tell you. 855-560-9900. By the way, that's the Car Doctor's 24-7 number. You can call and leave a message, and our producer will call you back and get you in the queue for the following show. And let me just stick a plug in here. We're coming down to the end. If you're looking for a present for dad or for that father, get get them. Think about a Car Doctor t-shirt. All right, let's uh, get out to eBay and look up Car Doctor T-shirt or Ron and, and uh, take a look at those and Car Doctor logo front and back. I made them nice. I made them to stand up and take a beating and uh, just throw them in the wash when you're done. So uh, you can get somebody who love a Car Doctor T-shirt and uh, help support us, and we appreciate the efforts all these years. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's back right after this. <laughs> back one of the, the car doctor real quick oh he's sneaking in under the wire frank are you there sir
1: yeah i'm right here you know I'm right I, here so I, this is going to be compensated for next week but uh, we'll start it right now okay go ahead get going. We, we we got this summer coming it is hard what do we do for the car let's get set for summer
0: okay we want to get set what for summer um regardless of year age making mileage all right we're going to look yeah, at tire okay. number one we're going to look at tire pressure all right, tire pressure, tire condition, tire tread. When I say condition, exactly. I'm talking about I'm yep. talking about chunks. I'm talking about dry rot. I'm talking about overall tire condition because the tire is the only thing keeping us on the road and keeping us upright. I'm also talking about taking a look at the spare. Take a look in the trunk. What's in the trunk? Do we know where the jack is? Where
1: is the spare? Where is the spare? I tell you a lot of people, I, where is the spare? How we ma- get it out? How many get people? That, how many get all people all your have? You don't know where the spare is, right? Well,
0: how many people have tires, vehicles with run-flat tires that don't realize they don't have a spare?
1: Right. And sell cars now without a spare. Right. That's to so, save money.
0: So right? there is no spare. Okay? So general safety stuff. Uh, you know, it would be nice thinking about the family vacation, what's in the trunk of the car before we get stuck. Uh, you know, some basics, road flares, flashlights, uh, that sort of thing, depending upon where you're stuck. Maybe a beach chair and some sunscreen. I'm only kidding. But uh, you know what? It's been it's been known to happen. So, you know, tires come to well, that's mind. For,
3: yeah, that's for the wife. This way you, she's okay. This way we can
1: fix the car while we're right. waiting. Right. right. The kids, do, we right?
0: Know, do we know how to change the flat tire? How many times I'm driving and I, and I see people on the side of the road changing the flat and they're sitting no on the idea. ground and their legs are under the vehicle while they're fighting oh, to get the God. tire off and the car is wobbling on the jack. So, uh, yeah. you know, common sense. That's number two, number three. Let's talk about fluids. Look at the oil change sticker. Everybody can do this the next time they get in the car. Look at the oil change sticker. Did the guy did the guy in the oil in the gas station, the Quick Lube, the dealership, whoever it is, everybody has a bad day. Did they print did the label right? right? Does does the mileage right. make sense? Is this when it's due or is this when it was done? So the next question is, how's my oil level? How's my oil condition? How's my trans fluid if I can check it? What does it look like under the hood? Belts, hoses, all my rubber components. How are the wiper blades? How are our, you know, how about we turn on the lights and do a quick walk around and look at lamps? Let's look at the air conditioning. Is the air conditioning cold? Let's find out now. Some common sense basics is where summertime driving starts if we want it to be trouble-free. Frank, as always, I appreciate the call, and I'm glad to count you among the Car Doctor Nation. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor, reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.